Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. This is a podcast connecting people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio partners with nonprofits, creatives, and other organizations to spread the good news that we're all stronger together. Our current partner is the Esteem Awards Pride Index, founded by Celestine. The Esteem Awards is a 501c3 organization dedicated to promoting positive images of LGBTQ communities and their allies. Since 2007, the Esteem Awards has honored over 300 local and national organizations and individuals for their continued efforts in supporting the areas of entertainment, media, civil rights, social services, business, and the arts. Prideindex.com is an entertainment and information resource portal. This is the episode where we spill the tea on collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio. We're going to tell it all, well, almost all, of the history, backstories about the show, and yours truly, its host. I'll be joined by two listeners, Tanegra and Lydia, who have questions. Collections by Michelle Brown wasn't my first foray into the world of blog radio. For several years, I was one of the co-hosts of a show out of Chicago called Can We Talk For Real? With my partners, Ina Anthony and Teresa Terry Boy Jackson, we introduced topics and took live calls each week. It was fun. It was lively. And when we opened those phone lines, well, we really didn't know what to expect. That show, Can We Talk For Real?, received an esteem award for our work in the media. But as life would have it, all good things come to an end. But I'd been bitten by the talk show blog. I reached out to a local media creative in Michigan to see how I could continue doing what I had come to love. And from that was conversation. Collections by Michelle Brown was born. My first question that many people asked me was about the name, Collections by Michelle Brown. Well, as I was talking about the conversations I wanted to have and the people I wanted to talk to, the media consultant I was working with said it reminded her of Tiffany's jewelry. Each guest was a gem worthy of their little blue box, a collection. She designed a cover page, business cards, and other promotional items all with a splash of Tiffany blue. I thought of changing it after the launch when I had a couple people think I was launching a clothing line, but the name kind of stuck. Tanegra, thank you for joining me. Um, You had a question about the show. Yes, I did, Michelle. Um, What made you decide to create it in this format other than your other experiences? And the other show? Great question. Unlike Can We Talk For Real, where there were three co-hosts asking guest questions, followed by an open mic with a listening, listening audience, I wanted to have a one-on-one, unscripted conversation 
to dig beneath the title and, and find out what moved people to lead their extraordinary lives. Got another question, Snagla? Sure. How do you choose the people that you interview? Well, I started with the low-hanging fruit, friends, coworkers, people and organizations I'd work with and things I'm interested in, including books, artists, and music. I also get suggestions from others, like the Esteem Awards. It's been a treasure trove of guests. I try to be flexible and avoid being labeled as just about politics, women, artists, LGBTQ issues, books. It's all part of the tapestry of life. That's my collection. I'm often asked, how did I select that first guest out of all these people? Well, if you know me, you know I have several things I'm passionate about, including social justice, politics, and LGBTQ community. Keeping this in mind, one person was at the top of my list. That was Earl Folks. He serves as the president and CEO of the Center for Black Equity, Inc., The Center for Black Equity was known until 2012 as the International Federation of Black Pride. It's a coalition of black gay pride organizations formed to promote multinational network of LGBTQ um, prides and community-based organizations. Earl is also the chair of the LGBT caucus of the executive committee of the Democratic National Committee. He checked all my boxes, and like I said, low-hanging fruit. He's a friend. I asked, and I was just thrilled when despite his busy schedule, he said yes. Politics has provided me many interesting guests, like a dear friend, Dave Coulter, who was the mayor of Ferndale when I interviewed him, and then went on to become Oakland County Executive, an openly gay Democrat in a position that had been held for years by the GOP. At the Esteem Awards, I met Maria Haddon, the first black queer woman elected to the Chicago City Council, representing the 49th Ward on Chicago's North Side. And my friend Andrea Jenkins, a repeat guest who I first met as an author and poet, later went into politics and was elected to Minneapolis City Council representing Ward 8. She was the first African-American, openly transgender woman elected to public office in the United States. I've interviewed over 150 people from all walks of life, including disability advocates, HIV AIDS activists, a vegan rights advocate, immigrant rights advocates, bloggers, a doula, an equestrian muralist, dancers, comedians, leaders of organizations, just a plethora of badass individuals. Nearest and dearest to my heart are my lupus warriors, led by the phenomenal Sharon Harris. These warriors thrive despite the often life-threatening effects of the disease. They inspire me. It's been an honor to tell their stories and publicize their events and walk in solidarity each year in the Lupus Detroit Walk for Warriors. In fact, Tanegra, thank you for walking with me this past September in the walk. I had a wonderful time doing that. (laughs) 
Uh, and it was great to have my sister there and my sister in struggle, Sharon, and say, hey, I want you guys to know it because I think my lupus warriors are our family. So that walk was a family affair. Again, thank you. As an author, I also enjoy talking with other authors like Andrea about their work. Andrea and I first talked about her book of poetry, The Tea Is Not Silent. And I've read some of her poetry along with mine. Other authors I've had the honor of adding to the collection include Lorraine Orlando Childry, Reverend Cedric Bridgeforth, Jason Michael, Dr. Eric Darnell Pritchard, James Wendell, and Wyatt O'Brien Evans. And my sister authors, Mecca Jamila Sullivan, Nina Kennedy, J.P. Howard, Dr. Alexis Pauline Gums, Mirazal Lieva, Adrian Marie Brown, and Eleanor Baker Rogers, just to name a few. They nudged me to continue my writing, and they're good friends, they're inspirational, and they have inspired me not only to write prose, but even poetry. So does that answer some of your questions about, about the show, Tanegra? Yes, it certainly does. You mentioned your writing. Um, I do actually have two of your books, actually three. I have two books of poetry, and I also have your children's book. Tell me something about your children's book. Where did you get that idea from, and why did you decide to do a children's book? Well, um, I love that. I love that question, and it's a, a story I love to tell. When I used to live in what was then the Cass Corridor, which is now Midtown, and I have friends, Anne and Jackie, who had a daughter, Rafi, and she grew up down there, and we would pass people all the time, and she always would ask me why, or sometimes when I, we would have our play date, she asked me to tell her a story. And mm-hmm. I also had friends, Shay and Lee, who had a dog named Jack, and Jack was uh, terrifically afraid of fires. I mean, they'd light their fireplace and he'd run and go in the basement. And so Rafi, of course, being Rafi, said, why? Why is Jack so afraid? And so it was always that, you know, how kids are, why, why, why? <laughs> and I thought a lot of the things that she was seeing in her everyday life, the easiest way to explain it to a child was not in big, big people's words, but through the eyes of something she could relate to. So I wrote Jack with a curly tail, and Jack is a puppy. And Jack um, talks about things like homelessness, about bullying, about being good enough and just by being yourself and shouting about your own special traits, because he often does that. People don't know what his name is, and he jumps up and down and says, my name is Jack, Jack, and he's showing what they do. And then in the sequel of it, it was called Home is Where the Heart Is because life changes, and you can have found families, you have chosen families, you have your original birth family, and but it's home, and home is really where the heart is. So that's what made me um, write a children's book on what I found is when I've gone even to schools, I've gone to uh, shelters for women where they have their kids, that the kids relate to it. 
and they're able to, to share their own experiences. Sometimes they'll ask me, you know, do you think I could write a story about what I do? And I'll be like, well, of course you can. And I think one of the most heartwarming stories of it all was um, I had been at a school and I read the story and the part about, you know, it opens up a homeless family who are good people who have just fallen on hard times. And after it was over, I went back like the following week because I often try to gift books to the school. And one of the teachers said, you know, after you left, one of the children who had been one of their star students the prior year but had gotten real quiet and everything came up to her and explained to her that both of her parents had lost their job. They were staying with a relative. And she was wondering, were they going to end up being homeless? And, and what had, had they done something wrong? And it opened a door where she could talk to and counsel and help this child through a difficult time. Mm-hmm. It, those are the rewards of writing a children's book. Okay, wonderful. That's wonderful. You never told me that story before. Well, I've got lots of stories. <laughs> I've got lots of stories. And you know... And and it was also a change because I've written like op eds which are really serious about politics and and social justice issues. And I've written poetry which combines a lot of other things. But it was a change to be able to put yourself to think like a child and even to feel to have those feelings like how did I feel when I was a kid? How would mm-hmm. I feel about that? So I think that that was like a really good thing. And I think that one of the, I was in Princeton was it last year. Yeah, last year. And um, for a rally. And afterwards, one of the, and I read some poetry. And afterwards, one of uh, a group of young women who went, asked if they could interview me. And she said, do you really think something like poetry and books can really make a difference? And you know, when you think about it, at the heart of every great social revolution are the artists, the writers, the painters, the musicians, because through your words, through the visual arts, through music, you can touch something in a person's soul that can move them to be bigger than themselves to take on and try something. So I think that that all ties into back with collections by Michelle Brown because that's what I'm doing. I mean, finding the commonality that makes it, what makes us all more human. What can we be that our children might see and build a better world for us? Okay, wonderful. So. Well, Tanegra, I want to thank you for your questions, you know, um, and for being there and for always being a supporter of me and the things I try to do. You're most welcome, dear. (laughs) Okay. Well, we have questions. And I said I was going to, to answer, so I'm talking now with, do you prefer Lee or Lydia? Lee is good. Oh, hello, Lee. How are you this evening? 
I'm fine, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing good. So you have questions. Absolutely. I promise to be as forthright as possible, to a point. (laughs) I'm not going to spill all the tea, but what you got for me? All right. You ready? Yes, I am. All right. What would you tell your younger self about your future? Mm, hold on tight. It's going to be a bumpy road. <laughs> but, but don't be afraid. You know, you're going to get through the bumps, and you're going to be stronger and better, and it might not all make sense at the time, but eventually it will. It'll come. It'll come together. Okay. Does that, does that make sense to you? It makes sense. It makes sense. You know, we 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 have bumps and bruises along the way, and, and sometimes it doesn't make sense till later in life. I mean, you know, if it doesn't kill me, uh, you know, that's how I think I'd also say if it doesn't, if it isn't going to kill you or cause you any great bodily harm or disfigurement because we have to remain cute. Go for it, girl. Go for it. Okay. Uh, You ready again? I'm ready. All right. Is there anything that you would have done differently? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think about it, and I think, like, you know, there are ways that I could have possibly been more aggressive about getting what I wanted or... But then, again, if I did it differently, would I be at this point where I'm at? You know what I mean? So sometimes, like, if you, if I went, you know, maybe I would have played it too safe. Or maybe I would have scared away somebody who would have talked to me or I could have gone back to and asked for something. Or maybe I wouldn't have learned a lesson. So, I mean, you know, I think that there are some things that I think are, you know, like maybe I would have taken better care of myself or known more about things to be my own advocate than I did in the past. Because I think like everyone, you go through that thing where you're like, okay, well, the doctor says I'm going to do this and that and not done the research. But back then there might not have been the tools for me to do the research on. I think, you know, um, and I think that I would have evaluated, you know, like what I want, you know. I think there's some ways that I'm comfortable with my life, but I think there's some things that I might have wanted different. But um, I don't know. I don't think so. You know, I mean, looking at it, I, I, you know, if you know that it's a path, and if you don't turn whichever ways you went, you wouldn't be where you are. And where I am now, I feel pretty good about So are you saying you wouldn't have done anything differently? Well, I mean, there's one or two people who I wouldn't have gone out with. <laughs> um, I think that there are some people... I would have loved on harder, you know. Um, 
I think especially sometimes when I think about um, family members, and not every, I mean, you know, family members who I love, particularly I would say my mother. There, I mean, there was, I think, some time that was wasted when we were trying to figure each other out. But we, we loved each other, and I wish that I had been able to love on her harder and bring her more into my life and to know more about who she was because, I mean, I was an adult to one day when she told me that, you know, she reminded me that she wasn't just my mom. She was Mary. She was a woman. And sometimes, in fact, a lot about her as that woman, I learned after she passed from my aunt, her older sister, who told me little things about me, and I'm like, Darren, that made sense, you know? Mm, that made sense. I think that um, that's the biggest thing, I think, in loving on people. And um, I think I wish I had learned about forgiveness earlier because I know that, you know, sometimes when you're young, and you're going through things, you get real mad, and, you know, it's like, I'll never forgive them. And then later on, you realize it wasn't, you know, it really wasn't in the bigger scheme of things that it wasn't that important. And I think I learned about that in particular from people. I mean, you know, God, I learned a lot from people as they got towards the end of their lives, and they saw that, and, you know, and you think about that. So I try now to be more forgiving, I think, and also to, and the power of words. I always knew that words were real powerful, but now I'm acutely aware of how powerful words are. And, I mean, I could think there was a period of time with my godmother where, you know, words got in the way. And then we we put them aside, you know. So I think those are the kind of things that I would have thought about and may have influenced how I did things. Would I have done things differently? It's been in a different way, but it's been on the same path. Does that make sense? Makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in, in kind of piggybacking off of that, who was your biggest influence as a young adult? Well, I consider my, I think um, I left home the first time at a at a younger age and um i ha- there's a few people um i had a teacher who i still see and um and and she told me you know you don't have to call me mrs house anymore you can call me gloria but she has a new uh after name aneb but you know she'll always be um mrs house to me and it was at that time when you were discovering your identity as a black person and she put me in touch with that to to not being afraid of because I was raised Catholic often every place that we were we were often like one of a minority and um, I didn't have and I was raised in Detroit my mother was from Detroit so I often had people who were around me who had that connection with their southern roots or the black church and so I didn't have that and at some point I felt 
I didn't run away from it, but I felt like I was less than, you know, my black peers. And, you know, and we were all being black and proud then. But I didn't have those things. And Mrs. House, you know, helped me to embrace that, you know, there are a lot of paths to being black. You know, everybody didn't have to go through a certain church or come from a certain state. You know, that my part was part of that. Uh, Northern migration, and I had that history, and then to learn about my history as a Detroiter. So I would say Mrs. House, like I would say like in the later high school days, and then my godmother, because she was fearful about her community. Um, She talked about voting. I remember going around with her because she was on a citizen's district council. And I remember having going around with her, putting up, up, up flyers for people to come out and vote for the citizen district council. But she was on the council a couple of times, but they were about their community. They had, she lived in Virginia Park and they were fighting uh, some of the expansions of Henry Ford, not fighting it, but not so wanting to make sure that they were involved in the community. Um, she would go up and down the street. She was always going to these meetings and encouraging people to get out there and vote and that your vote mattered. I mean, your vote mattered. She was very much like that. And also about giving to people. When I had my son, you know, it was like, you know, hey, I'm there. What what do you need? And she made sure I, I had lots of things. And she always supported me, encouraged me to do things about that. But she was fierce. She was fierce, and she was from Mobile, Alabama. She had red hair and freckles, but everybody in that neighborhood knew her, and she could be as sweet as apple pie, but also as spicy as that gumbo she would make. And you just didn't mess with Maxine Bryant, and I got a lot of a lot of that from her. And I always knew that when things were rough. You know, on so many areas, I could go to her house and sit down with her and talk and talk it out, you know. And so I would say that those two people as a young adult really influenced me because her involving me in politics and involving me in community set me on this path that I'm on. All right. No regrets? Well, um, not really. You know, not really. You know, um, I mean, because, like, people talk about, you know, well, um, I think that sometimes I see things differently. You know what I mean? And, like, sometimes I wish I could see it like everybody else does. You know, like just be all like I volunteered a lot and I gave a lot to my community when I know a lot of people who would say, well, you know, I'm not going to do that. You know, they were I know people like I have volunteered a lot in the LGBTQ community and I know people who were paid gay, as you say it, who, you know, and they parlayed it into some other things or or who are community activists and they parlayed it into certain positions, but what they don't have is like um, an organization that I, I helped 
in the, the starting of it and worked with young people who now I have young people who are, you know, adults who have their kids and talk about the impact that I had on their lives. And that I've had people who I've been able to walk up to and say, you know, you might not remember me, but you did this and that encouraged me to do something. And sometimes, and they knew that I was doing it because it was from my heart and my soul and my spirit, and it was real, and that's why they are doing it, where both lasting connections, I mean, are are just huge to me, you know, they're just huge to me. So, you know, yeah, I guess my only regret was be is like, I wasn't a consistent lottery player, and I have not won the big game yet. Well, this is really going to be uh, a biggie. What is the story behind your unique email address? Okay, my unique email address, my, my, not the collections by Michelle Brown, which is about the show, but I have one that's I am my change because people always say, you know, oh, I want to see change. I want to see this. But I often have people who are involved in social justice who I admire and respect like James and Grace Lee Boggs. And through them, I met Ruby D and uh, Ossie Davis. You know, I've met Danny Glover. I've met people who have been involved in social justice for longer than I've been alive and many who have passed on. And one of the things they always said is, you know, that you need to be the change you want to see. Because if you aren't doing it, you know, you can't sit on the sidelines, you know, and say, oh, I'd like to see, you know, um, my city do this and never vote. You know, I can't say that my, I want to see my government do this and never vote. I can't say that I want to see people be kinder to each other when I am not kind. So the change I want to see in the world, I know, won't happen if it's not me. So I am my change. I am the key to making the world I want to see around me. All right. And it's it's amazing, but you're such an interesting person, but what's next? Uh, what's next? Well, there's a few things. Uh, <laughs> um, I still see, you know, I mean, earlier I talked about writing. I still see um, I have some things to write. Uh, I've written the two children's books. I have another one in mind. And part of what the children's book, it's about helping kids understand what's happening. I see a third one in that vein. I continually am writing poetry. You know, you never know what's going to inspire me. And I'm even surprised. I would like to, I think I can do another book of poetry. Um, I had started a novel that's been on the back burner for forever, and I hope to take time to revisit that. So I think that writing is going to be a big part of it because I think it's part of 
what I want to leave behind me. Um, I still want to be involved in movement. You know, I've done public speaking. I think it's important to speak out that as an African-American queer woman, that there's a line, a space that I can go and talk about that can help pull people together. And I think I've been given that gift to be able to speak out and to do these things. So I hope to have more opportunities to do that. Um, I want to live. I want to live every day to the fullest and to see things, to see things that are good. I want to continue uh, Collections by Michelle Brown because it's also a way of collecting stories, the oral history. I think one of the biggest things that has been most moving about it is when someone tells me, you know, I was thinking about so-and-so, and I remembered you interviewed them, and I went back and I was able to hear their voice one more time, and they said the things that were important to me, and I would like to be able to continue that work. And, you know, I, and go where life leads me. I think that, you know, I've got a lot of living uh, yet to do, and I intend to do it. You know, land where I'm supposed to be and make a difference. And like I said, the one thing that I regretted is to not loving hard, but to love hard on the people that I love so that if nothing else, when they say, what do you remember about Michelle? She loved me. I think that's the one thing we all want. Mm-hmm. Is, to know, is to know that we loved, we loved hard the people who loved us. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, those memories, you know, my mother has been gone since 2001. My father since 2003. My godmother was I want to say in 2000, I know people who have been in my life and are gone, my grandmother, and you know what? And that's what I remember, those moments that they loved me and made me know I felt that. I felt that, and that love was the strength even in bad times. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for answering my questions. Well, thank you for presenting them to me, Lydia. Well, that was fun. I want to thank you for joining me on this special edition of Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio. I may not have spilled all the tea, but a little bit. Thanks to Tanegra and Lydia for their questions. Maybe we'll do it again. We'll be back next week with more interviews of individuals living between the lines standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. You can support Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon.com, or there's a GoFundMe. Current and past episodes of the show can be heard on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, 
or Blog Talk Radio. Stay tuned as we continue to introduce you to more amazing individuals living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.